Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. What's the best way to promote British farming to the public? Perhaps one that doesn't cost anything. 24 hours in farming has always been about reconnecting with consumers, about British farming and about all the good things that agriculture in this country provides. We'll hear about Farm 24, look at a new farming cash flow fund and in the wake of Farm Safety Week, ask just how important it is to have first aid training. Absolutely, because let's be honest, there's no such thing as a paper cut on a farm. Any farm incident has the potential to be life-changing and life-ending. Plus agronomy advice and crop, livestock and grain market reports. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. The weather's been a bit more mixed this week. Bit of rain around. Well, it's the school holidays. Will that continue? The forecast at the end of the programme. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard. Hope it's been a good week for you. Harvest progresses apace for many and the news continues to be less than positive in the main. Do you have a good news story to share? Some success to tell us about? Something that will put a smile on our faces? Please get in touch so we can turn the collective frown upside down through the rest of the summer. Tweet at Farming show or email farming at linksfm.co.uk and let's get a bit of positivity going. One bit of good news this week's come from Breeder, the Precision Livestock Network, which has launched a £10 million cash flow fund. Chief Exec Ian Wheel joins us. Morning, Ian. What's prompted this new facility? Uh, The idea behind it is, especially in a time where costs for farmers and producers are increasing, how do we support those producers with getting access to cash flow? against our animals. And most banks that currently only lend against the land that someone may own, and it takes a long time to be able to get that money. With the cash flow fund, people can now use the data around their animals to prove the value of those animals and therefore release some cash flow to support with feed or other costs that they may have on the farm. So this can be used for any purposes? It can be used for any purpose farmer wants to use it for. So they don't have to put the farm up against any sort of loan. It's done on the cattle And they have some requirements around making sure they continue to weigh those and we see them growing. And then with that, we actually can help support them in getting more money for those cattle through a sale at the end of that as well. So simple basic details then, Ian. How much? How long? How's it repaid? The producer will weigh some cattle. They'll put those animals and submit them for a cash flow product. We will usually release up to around 80% of the value of those animals. So they can, depending on how well they've been weighing, how their mortality is and how their performance is on farm, it will be up to 80%. That is then a cruiser product fee uh, for every day that animal has got the cash flow product against it. And then when they come to sell it, they would sell that animal. The proceeds from that sale paid off the cash flow that they received earlier on. And then all of the profit and upside returns to the producer. So they're not having to make sort of monthly repayments. They they repay the loan when the animal's sold. Exactly. And so therefore, it's usually around three to 12 months that that people would use this product for. And mostly it's usually around three months, either the last three months of finishing or the last three months before they want to sell that animal when it's its most expensive. You know, it can be turned around very quickly and can support those producers who want to then use that for either buying more cattle or feed or whatever they need in the short run. Now, in terms of uh, keeping control over the money that you're lending out, you know how the animal is developing, how it's weighing, as you say. So am I right in saying this is just for breeder customers? So you have to be able to put weight data and you have to sync your 
farm to BCMS. Uh, so they are requirements of the product, but that in itself lets people improve their own productivity on their farm, helps them understand where they can improve the profitability of the animals that they're managing and growing. So, you know, we believe there's a double benefit to that, not just the fact that they're able to access this cash flow. Who decides the value of the animal? So the market sets the value. So we know what animals are being traded at in the wider market. And then we use the weight of those animals and multiply it by the price per kilogram that's in the market. Ian Will from Breeder, many thanks for joining us on the farming programme again. Thank you, Steve, as always. Great to chat. And you can get full details of this on the company's website, Breeder, B-R-E-E-D-R.co, or if you're already a Breeder customer, through the app. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. What's the best way to promote British farming without spending a fortune on advertising? Well, perhaps a concerted social media campaign. But how many of us have the resources to organise that? Well, through the Farmer's Guardian, supported by supermarket giant Morrison's, there's another 24 hours in farming, the Farm 24 campaign this week. Editor Ben Wallace tells us what the aim of the campaign is. The real aim of of this year's event is to show how how British farming can fit in with this notion of the cost of living crisis and and how British farmers are really stepping up to provide affordable food. 24 Hours in Farming has always been about reconnecting with consumers about British farming and about all the good things that agriculture in this country provides. And I think there was a reappreciation of British farming under uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic. But these are changed times once again, unbelievably. Uh, and it's just showing where agriculture fits into that context. So it's about promoting all the good stuff that agriculture does to the end consumer. When you say taking over social media, what do we actually do? So we want as many people uh, involved on August the 4th as we can, and it is just really, really simple. So whether you're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or any social media platform, the aim is to use the hashtag farm 24 but really, it's just about showcasing what you do if you're if you're a farmer, whether that's milking cows or in the midst of harvest, whatever it might be. It's showcasing what's going on on British farms across the country. Now, if you're a consumer, if you're somebody who doesn't work directly in farming, but you appreciate everything that farming provides, whether that's food, whether that's access to the countryside, whatever it might be, you can show your appreciation again by using the hashtag Farm24. And I think one of the things that that 24 Hours in Farming has done over the past few years is just really provide a kind of focal point in the year for farmers to corral around, for the industry to come together and celebrate the very best of British agriculture. And actually, because sometimes farming, Steve, it can be a lonely job. It Mm. can be really lonely. And sometimes you, you feel that the narrative is against the industry. But what we've found every year with Farm 24 is the fact that the British public really appreciates what's going on on farms of length and breadth of the UK. And this is an opportunity to showcase that. How many people get involved in this? You say it's sort of getting bigger each year, but uh, how many involvements, how many posts, how many farmers are actually getting involved? Well, in terms of farmers and people involved, you're talking tens of thousands actually now. The reach of it, and, and I can't really get my head around this, but it's in excess of 100 million on social media. It shows the, both the power of social media, but I also think the power of farming to engage and to tell its story. And, and I think the thing is with, with agriculture, with farmers in particular, they can be a bit reticent. They can be a bit quiet sometimes about, you know, they're not always wants to, to kind of blow their own trumpet. But 
it shows that um, via 24 hours informing that there is a real opportunity and that we have a story that resonates with the wider public. What if a farmer's not that tech savvy? How difficult is it actually to do all this stuff? You see, the thing is, like, I've got people in my family who aren't particularly tech savvy. So it's about those kind of people who maybe aren't that all fair with technology, getting some of the younger people that they know to help them out and, and to get their story out there as well. I mean, it's quite funny. I, I have two, um, two slightly um, uh, eccentric uncles who, who still farm and, and their farm is really like a, it's a bit of a snapshot of the past. It's a bit of a time warp. But in a way, that kind of story sometimes resonates about these people who have committed their lives to the industry and are still very much uh, very passionate about British farming. So even if you're not tech savvy yourself, you'll probably know somebody who is and, and you can still shout about what you do on your farm. Ben, much success with Farm 24 for 2022. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Thank you. 24 Hours in Farming runs from 5am on Thursday. With any post, just use hashtag Farm24. So how are the crops faring? How's harvest going? What advice have you got for us? And are you looking forward to your holiday? You must be ready for it. Morning, Sean. Yes, good morning to you, Steve. You are absolutely right about that. Christmas was the last time I took a holiday and a heck of a lot has happened in that time. Very, very tough times, not just in the Sparling House, but out in the field too. So I'm extremely ready, more than ready for a bit of R&R so that I can regroup, recharge my batteries and get myself ready for what is likely to be yet another tricky season in agriculture, as indeed they all are. So the start to get us to harvest 2023 when I get back off holiday. The cost of production through the roof this last 12 months and a very very tricky year of weather for us to deal with for Harvest 22 though so I promised you to keep it short and sweet agronomy wise this week and not a lot to talk about I'll do my best but it's quite interesting there's a harvest update and a few surprises being thrown up from that nice surprises though in the main so if you just think back on our weather since the 1st of October I think it's fair to say that it's been a hot and dry season I've only taken five days in that period since the 1st of October to the end of July I've only taken five days where the rain actually fell in double figures so I've only had 11 inches of rain since the 1st of October last year and since the 1st of January this year less than eight inches 200.9 millimeters of rain since the 1st of January so if you look at April when the crops are in the ground we've got warming soils high demand for growth from these crops which are trying to set off we had a lot of high teen temperatures you know most days we were in the high teens 18s and 19s throughout April but crops need water and we only took 8.6 mil of rain in April with those high temperatures then we got into May and we saw just 11 millimetres in the first three weeks of May coming off the back of that dry April so the spring crops look really really thirsty and most of us were really really concerned then we got to June, 26 millimetres of rain, 23 millimetres of which fell in the first five days of June. And I think that's what may have saved some of these crops. So it was very dry, but also April, May and June were all very hot and very sunny too. Plus some serious wind to dry out this land even more and put these crops under even more stress from the drought. Then we got July, 39 to 42 degrees, six days above 39 degrees for me, but several days well over 30 and 19 days 
over 25 degrees Celsius. And with just nine mil of rain, blooming well drier and drier and drier. So we started to fear the worst. When the flag leaf sprays were going on two weeks earlier than we would normally expect them to at the beginning of May because these crops were suffering so much, when oilseed rate was being sprayed off in June, wheat being combined before the third week of July. I've never seen that before. So I think we were all fearing the worst. And we watched fields go from green to gold in just five days with all that heat. And with the lack of rain that we saw in season, there really weren't many of us who were expecting big things this harvest, particularly from the spring crops. But we were all concerned about the winter crops as well. So the first thing to say is that it's not all rosy out there. There are some anomalies. There are some strange yielding fields of winter wheat, of winter barley. The peas, combining peas in particular that went in end of March, early April, is a crop which needs a steady supply of water and clearly we didn't get that in many of these fields this year so despite the appearances where they were up to your thighs looking absolutely wonderful flowering for ages many many of these fields only had two to three peas in a pod at best plenty of pea moth as well on the outsides of these fields as there always is so insecticides once again haven't done a lot of good against that pest but these crops simply didn't get enough to drink so whereas two ton to the acre or five ton to the hectare would be what we would expect from a combining pea crop this year one to 1.3 tons per acre or two and a half to three and a quarter tons per hectare is more the result not entirely unexpected as I say but always disappointing nonetheless and as I said last week the oilseed rapes running well winter barley pretty good in general but a bit all over place some of these fields not doing what you expected them to but generally speaking winter barley good reasonable yields and very high bushel weights so then we move on to wheat lovely surprises. Everybody I've spoken to so far, with one or two fields as exception, are having what's technically referred to as a pretty good do. There are exceptions, as I say. You know, if we thought about it, you really are honest about it, then you're expecting some of these fields which went in badly. They struggled over the winter. The slugs got them. They were thin. You know, you expected it really, but thankfully, the good is far greater than the bad and the ugly. Many, many reports of field average yields well in excess of four and a half tonne to the acre, 11 tonnes per hectare, and it is indeed weighing like lead shot, as we said it would. Bushel weights of 85, not uncommon this year. Saki, Gleam, Incitor, Skyscraper, Cramium, Parking, Dawson, even Wolverine, which is a lower yielding variety in comparison, all doing the business. Now, I know it's early days, but so far so good, and I think there is cause for optimism. I've got my fingers crossed that it continues. Even early drilled stuff on sands, and by early drilled, I mean mid-September on proper sands, doing well over 11 tonne per hectare. Absolute result. As Martin Farley, one of my clients, used to say, you'll always get more in a dry year than you will in a wet one. And that does in indeed seem to be the case this year. I think, even though it's been dry, we have had that rain just enough and just in time on these fields which are doing the business. They won't all be like that. Of, of course they won't. They'll be good and they'll be bad and there always is every year. But to be honest, I didn't think it would be this good, even up until the combine started rolling 10 days ago. Spring barley's as well. Spring crops should be struggling, but in general, yields of seven and a half, eight tonnes per hectare, pretty widespread on spring barley and the quality's there too. So, All's well that ends well. 2022 will be the Enid Blyton harvest. All's well that ends well, as she said at the end of every book. So let's all go and have some ginger beer. So that's it from me for a few weeks then. I wish you all a breakdown free, barn filling, no need for that drier harvest. And I'll see you on the other side.
Bonjour. Thanks as ever, Sean, and have a great holiday. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Last week was Farm Safety Week, getting the message across that we all need to pay greater attention to ourselves and our colleagues' safety on the farm as we continue to have the worst record of any sector. We need to work to get the number of accidents down considerably, but Stephanie Barkley, manager of the Farm Safety Foundation, if an accident does happen, do we know what to do? Absolutely, because let's be honest, there's no such thing as a paper cut on a farm. Any farm incident has the potential to be life-changing and life-ending. And also in rural communities, it can take over two hours before emergency services arrive. So how important is it for a farmer to get first aid training? Yeah, I absolutely think it's essential with with the proper training. Family members and employees and workers and contractors would be able to provide potentially life or limb-saving care to an injured patient. But it provides the tools to keep the person that's first on the scene busy while you're waiting for the emergency services, which can reduce anxiety and lead to a better patient outcome, I think. So what does first aid training actually involve then, Stephanie? You know, it can vary from a one-day course to a three-day course. It can go into how to assess the injured person and manage any life-threatening conditions. The importance of knowing when and when not to provide a tourniquet, how to care for fractures, you know, proper care for amputated parts, unfortunately, which is quite gory, but it has to be dealt with. But also how to safely, effectively keep the person calm while they're waiting for the emergency services. And actually the importance of having an up-to-date first aid kit where everybody knows where it is and how to access it. Really, really important things that you need to know. Burns, chemicals, all the things that you can think could happen on a farm. Understanding at least how to keep that person safe. You're not going to be a medical professional at the end of it, but you're at least going to know how to look after that person carefully and safely while you're waiting for the medical experts to arrive on the scene. And where can you get this training from? There are so many really good providers, actually. We're very lucky. St John's Ambulance, Lantra can do it. Other organisations out there can provide that. So it's a case of actually you can just simply Google where to go Ask your, you know, the local MFU branch, have they used anybody? Is there a cost for first aid training? Yes, sometimes there is. I'm not sure exactly how much it is, but what cost do you put on saving a life or saving a leg? Do you know what I mean? You've got to think about this logically. This is a business you're running. A farm is a business. So in any business, there is an outlay for, you know, for any kind of training. So if you're going to get the right training and you're going to get good training, you should be prepared to pay something for it. It would be lovely if it was funded by government. Unfortunately, it's not. Maybe that's something that can be lobbied as well. Mm. And where could we go for more information? I would suggest probably going on Google is the best way. Lantra, as I said, have got fantastic offers as well. They have a specific first aid at work for industry available. So I would go on to Lantra. I would go on to St. John's Ambulance. You can decide then whether or not it's one day course you're doing or whether it's a three day course that you deserve and how many people on the farm should go on it. And it's about farming families, not just farm workers as well. So that's worth a bit of your time. Stephanie Barclay from the Farm Safety Foundation. Excellent advice. Thank you very much for joining us again.
Not at all. Thanks very much for having me again. To our weekly market reports now, starting with livestock from Louth's auctioneer, Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for Monday, the 24th of July. Started with a prime cattle, which saw just heifers on offer, top at 286 pence per kilo, and gross £1,456.05 for J.C. Scolia Bormba. Normally an average of 247.2 pence per kilo. Moving on to the sheep, starting with the prime lambs, which see an SQQ of 242.61 pence per kilo, with an all-in average just 0.2 of a pence uh, less than that at 242.44 pence per kilo. A larger show of lambs forward this week, as to be expected for the time of year, and one or two just running out of grass. Top came for GW Allison at 300 pence per kilo, or for returning vendors this week, RH Homes Partnership of Apley near Ragby at £132 per head. Onto the cool ewes, a slightly larger show and slightly down on the week to leave an all-in average of £94.45 with a top for JS Brooks of Strubby at £136. Finally, just a handful of store lambs on offer, which were pulled out of the fat, one for lacking a little bit of weight and two for lacking finish on them. It's got to be said that included in this average is the good, the bad and the ugly at £38.81, with a top for DNC Lofthouse of Beesby at £55 per head. Must also mention that Friday the 5th of August is our first special show and sale of MV and non-MV accredited breeding sheep formerly the Partly Fair, sale to start at 12 midday with the uh, MV accredited breeding sheet followed by the gimmers and then on to the store lambs. Entries are still being taken so if you've got livestock to sell or market to that sale please do not hesitate to contact me for our special sales or our weekly prime sales. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Lambs Market and thank you. And how are the grain markets looking this week? Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning Kit. Well good morning Steve. The much-vaunted Black Sea Export Corridor deal is finally signed off and continues to weigh on sentiment, feeding the bearish algorithms and spec traders. Whether the deal holds or is effective is still open to considerable debate, with Newswire's reports repeatedly extolling the positives, although the narrative does not necessarily reflect the reality in terms of what is achievable. The fact that the Ukraine and Russia did not sit at the same table at the signing ceremony and signed separate agreements indicates the fragility of the deal. Subsequent missile attacks on Odessa do not fill you with confidence. Logistics, machinery, parts, fuel, storage are all barriers to a return to anything like normal for Ukrainian exports, as is finding enough ships willing to enter the war zone and a crew to man them. Russia continues to request sanctions are lifted, claiming that they are not responsible for the global food shortages, which is misleading as there are no restrictions on Russian exports of grain or fertiliser. It is not clear what Russia gains by allowing the Ukraine to export as the income will only fund the Ukrainians' war effort. In the meantime, EU ships of wheat are 36% ahead of last year, which is likely to be understated, and reports are already pointing to a similarly large programme for August. India is reporting record high domestic prices, which argues that their production is significantly understated and their exports of 6 million metric tonnes are unrealistic. The Russian crop size keeps growing, although some believe this includes Ukrainian grain in occupied territories. Whilst exports of 40 to 42 million tonnes look challenging, the trade estimate is closer to 30 million metric tonnes in current circumstances. The UK harvest has begun in earnest and with everything coming at once. Early indications show good specific weights and some lower proteins, although too early to assess yield. UK exports of lower protein, low moisture milling wheat may be possible this season, both inside and outside the EU, once the dust has settled. So looking at barley this week, spring malting barley in the south has followed on from the winter malting barley with similar low nitrogen, good retention and low screenings. Most barley has dried naturally, so no heat required other than conditioning. 
Domestic UK maltsters still not buying as they see the good quality and above average yields, which is leading to harvest pressure. We still have some space at malting stores to affect prompt movement for malting barley. Even though the spot market is under pressure, for now the forward market is still looking good with monthly increments and high premiums. However, if we do not have a bad harvest and the weather carries forward, the market will reduce and the UK deals with large barley surplus may become under pressure. Oil seed rate Wednesday saw soybeans hit their high for the last two weeks and the forecast of hot dry weather in parts of the US Midwest through the early August threatened to degrade conditions during a critical plant development phase. A senior market analyst at the Midwest Market Solutions explained how the up and coming forecast could hurt soybean plants as they develop their pods ropping yield which we can't afford to lose with an already very tight balance sheet. The USDA report on Monday showed a decline in the condition of soybeans, rating a 59% at good to excellent condition, which is down 2% from last week. The forecast, along with the downgraded soybean condition, has led to broad gains in the global oilseed markets. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for August, please speak to your local farm business manager. But moving on to September, 255 to 262. November, 257 to 264. February, 260 to 267. And May, 263 to 270. Milling wheat premiums are currently 40 to 45 pounds. Feed barley for August 222 to 228, September 230 to 237, November 240 to 245, February 242 to 247 and May 246 to 251. Malting premiums are circa 70 to 80 pounds for a 185 nitrogen and 90 to 100 pounds for a 165 nitrogen. And finally, all seed rate prices for August 520 to 526, September 525 to 530, November 530 to 536, February 533 to 539, and May next year 536 to 542. Thanks as ever to Kit and to Oliver. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Some welcome rain to start the week. Light and variable winds today, cloudy with a high of 23 Celsius. The southwesterly wind picks up through the week, but not really above the mid-teens MPH. Cloudy with light rain Monday and Tuesday, highs staying around 23. Warmer, dry and sunny for Wednesday and Thursday. The winds stay light and veer around to the northwest, and temperatures getting up to 28 degrees before cooling under cloudy skies with light rain on Friday. Well, that's it for this week's programme. We'll talk soil and its partly fair next week. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.